And this morning, we want to continue looking at the life of Abraham. This morning, I want us to come to one of the most significant events in Abraham's life. Actually, it's probably one of the most significant events in the whole story of the Bible. And that's what we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 22. And these are the three things I hope for us to consider. I would love for us to consider God's test. Secondly, I want us to consider Abraham's hope. And finally, we want to look at God's provision. So this morning, first up, God's test. We're going to look at Genesis 22, verses 1 to 4. Here is God's word. After these things, and what are those things? We just learned about it in the previous chapter, about God coming and then that whole story of Ishmael and, and that how God has shown that he is the everlasting God. As you read towards the end of that chapter, you'll see those words. After all these things, it says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne this morning. We ask that you'll continue to reveal who you are to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will also settle my own heart and the hearts of us listening in. We ask, Lord God, that we walk away knowing you more pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Now, I wonder what it was like for Abraham and Isaac and Sarah growing up. I mean, for Abraham and Sarah in particular, seeing the son that they've been waiting for, uh, this son that they've prayed to God for, this son that they heard or this child that they saw would, would arrive or was told. And then finally, it's promised. The promise is fulfilled. I'm sure, like any parents, there's this great joy in, in watching someone grow up, and there's also challenges. I'm sure there would have been laughter. And here is in this moment, we come to the storyline of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah, and most probably this son has now grown up, and it would have been wonderful watching this son. I wonder if they had moments, uh, you know, of, oh man, can you believe it? There's our son Isaac, our only son. And even in the previous chapter, you have these words written down, the everlasting God, the God who has provided for Abraham and Sarah. Maybe they had moments of just reflecting on that. And then, as per usual in the story of the life of Abraham, God encounters Abraham again and speaks to Abraham. In this moment, though, the original author would have been writing this is Moses. He's writing the people of Israel to recount the history of Israel. It's very clear why God is speaking to Abraham. In this moment, God is there to test Abraham. God is about to test Abraham, and that is to, the language is just to prove, to see if Abraham is going to show obedience to what God asks him to do. To see also, I think, to test and see if Abraham will trust God. 
And it's a moment of seeing who does Abraham love more. Friends, I know that sometimes in these kind of passages, it's easy for us to skim over it, and particularly if you've grown up in the church tradition of any kind, you skip over these stories very quickly. But I want you to see what the passage says. In verse 1, it's clear who's doing the testing. God is. God is testing. In verse 1, it says again that God calls to Abraham, and this time Abraham responds, and it must. I mean, it's easy for us to kind of... uh, Um, sort of just go over these words. But notice how God speaks to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son, this son Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to offer him as a burnt offering, as a full offering. This picture is very clear. It's his whole body to be burnt up as a sacrifice. Now, we don't know exactly how old Isaac would have been, but in the passage later on you'll see he's old enough to carry some wood. Uh, Some scholars would argue he's most probably coming towards he's either in his late teens or early 20s. But no matter how old he is, it's very clear. God speaks to Abraham and says, Your only son, whom you love... I want you to sacrifice him. Now, Abraham already has another son, right? His name is Ishmael, right? We know about him. But his son, that Ishmael, is not going to be the one that was going to be ultimately the promise fulfiller. This son is specific for God. This son is the one who will carry on the blessings of God to the people of Israel and then eventually to the whole world. God is saying to him, sacrifice him. Now, some of us, we read this and we might just move on. You know, we know the story of the Bible and, it, and maybe some of us feels, yeah, it's a bit quite distant, Shabu. I'm not sure how that's really relevant for me today. Some of us, it stirs something in us that says, oh, that seems a bit unfair. I mean, this seems like This God that I'm reading about doesn't seem just. This doesn't compute in my heart and my head. Some of us have grown up in in the temptation often. When we come to passages like this, our temptation is to skip over it and go, oh, well, God is love, you know, and just kind of make it all sound all nice. And even the notion that God is testing someone, it stirs something in us. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible doesn't hide anything. Uh, The Bible makes it very clear for you in front of you to go, it's right in front of you. You have to deal with it. You can't ignore it. But I think as humans, we are tempted to either avoid it, and that's why often the Bible is watered down. So in this moment, Abraham is testing so God is testing Abraham, and it's a wonderful reminder to you and I, God will test. And in this moment that God is intimately involved in this story, and he's testing Abraham to ask, Abraham, who do you love more? Your only son, the one that I've been given to you by me. And it's pushing Abraham to ask questions, potentially, maybe even stirring your own questions as you read this passage. But it's a picture that God is the one who is the provider. And God is the one who has the right 
to test Abraham. Because, as his storyline goes, God knows what's going to happen. Friends, if that stirs something in you, that's a good thing, and I would encourage you to keep pushing deeper and exploring. It's a wonderful reminder to you and I that everything that we have in our lives, no matter what it is, it's all ultimately from God. It's His. He has a right to it. That's why we say that He is God and we are not. In this moment, God is displaying His very character of who He is. And He's displaying it both to us and to Abraham. And lovingly testing Abraham. And this is the moment where as you're reading the story, this is God intervening in Abraham's life and asking, who do you love more? And friends, it's also a reminder to you and I to ask the question, who or what do we love more? We all are born to love things. Our attraction to love things is there. Uh, The description in the Bible ultimately points to it actually causes us to worship things. But in the story of Abraham, as it's unpacked for us, we've been discovering over the life of Abraham that this God is a gracious and loving God. This God is not a vindictive, cruel God. And in this moment, in the actions of Abraham, there's something going on. And I think God is revealing and testing Abraham, but I think Abraham also knows who God is. Because over the years in his life, God has been showing himself faithful. And in the following verses, we start to see a hint of hope. A hint of hope. Look with me in verses 5 to 8. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Uh, It's very clear that Abraham wakes up early. Uh, He packs the donkey. It's quite a remarkable scene, really, because uh, in this moment, it's showing very much that Abraham moves to action, just as God asks him. Uh, This is a man who's pretty well off, and some commentators say, here he is, packing his own donkey, here he is, cutting his own wood. I can't even imagine what's going on in the heart of Abraham. I mean, this week as I was wrestling this, I looked at my firstborn and visualized him and thought, how is this even possible? How is Abraham even doing this? But did you notice in the passage, there's no sense that Abraham is turning around and arguing with God. Uh, There's no sense at all that Abraham now is thinking, okay, what is an alternative that I can bring before God? He's not doing any of that. What we're seeing is faith. What we're seeing is obedience, just as God has asked him. He heads off to the land of Moriah. 
Uh, this is one of the mountainous countries. This is where it's probably one of the most mountainous places in the world. This is most probably where around Jerusalem. It's about 72 k's north of Bathsheba. You can Google map that and you'll see that. I mean, I can't even imagine this moment of this journey. Like, there's no cars. It's not like you can turn the music up loud and just drown out what's going on. All he's got is a donkey and two young men and his son Isaac and the wood. And he heads. It's a constant picture of not him going backwards or looking back. It's a picture of him moving forwards. It's a picture of Abraham listening to the voice of God and going exactly where God said he should go. And they arrive on the third day. And if you've been following the story, right, often you hear this thing of, and Abraham lifted his eyes. Uh, It's this repeating word that's coming up again. And this time, in the past, when Abraham lifts his eyes, it's a good thing. But this time he lifts his eyes. I wonder if it didn't look so good as he looked at that mountain. If you read the story, it is filled with tension. And this is a true story, friends. This is not made up. This really happened. Even in this moment, there's no voice from God. In a sense, there's silence, and Abraham continues ahead. They get close to the destination, and Abraham says something interesting to the servants. I don't know if you picked it up. He says, wait here. And then what does he say in verse 5? I and the boy will go and worship, and what? Come again to you. Now, if you have an NIV version, the NIV puts it this way, we will come back to you. In this moment, friends, we're seeing a hint of hope. Later on, I'll explain in the New Testament, it's revealed what that would have looked like potentially for Abraham as he trusted God. But we don't have all the details in the sense, but there's a sense of hope in Abraham's voice. And I know for us, for those of us who have grown up in the Christian culture, we might want to jump ahead to the story, but I want you to feel the tension of what's going on here. And in this moment, what we're seeing is a man who's trusting God and his character, doing what God has asked him in obedience And he's not trying to get around it. He's not trying to solve it like he's done in the past by himself. He just moves forward. And he pulls out his list on his pretend iPhone that never existed in that time. And he pulls out the shopping list and says, Wood, check. Fire, check. The knife, check. I thought about bringing a physical knife here, then I thought we were videoing it for people. Probably not a good idea. Check. And then finally, the sacrifice. And looks at his only beloved son, whom he loves. Check. And it's a sense where Isaac's watching his dad and, and wondering, okay, dad's got a few things going on here. And maybe Isaac thought, well, dad's pretty old these days, so maybe he's forgetting stuff. And he turns around and says something very interesting. Now, did you see the language that's going on in the passage in front of you? It's very, very similar to the way that God speaks to Abraham. So Isaac says, Father, but this time, it's not God speaking, it's his own son, the son that he loves. And he says, my father. Uh, this is the kind of language in the Old Testament that is connected to God's relationship with the people of Israel. It's an endearing kind of language. Abraham listens 
and says, yes, son. I mean, it's the obvious question, right? Dad, you've got the fire, you've got the wood, you don't have the burnt offering. Did you see Abraham's response? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. In this moment, what we're seeing is a man who's hoping and trusting in God and his characters. His hope is in the one who would then let them come back, as he said to the servants. His hope, that is Abraham's hope, is the one who, knowing that God will be the one who will provide. And the language here is throughout this life of Abraham, that God himself will provide. God will take the matter into his own hands and solve it for us, Isaac. And I don't know if Abraham had the full picture here, but what we're seeing is faith on display. Faith of Abraham, who trusted in the one who he knows will always provide, because he's done it already in his own life. And in the story of the actual Bible and in the story of Abraham's life, it's a significant turning point. And what we now see is God's provision. In verses 9 to 19, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Bathsheba and Abraham lived at Bathsheba. Man, what a scene that has been displayed in front of us. Here is his son Isaac watching his dad build the altar. And Abraham has built altars before, on mountaintops before. But this time, the one that he's going to slaughter is the one that he loves, his beloved son. In that moment, that picture of Isaac being bound, there's no sense in the the story that did Isaac put up a fight, all these things we don't know, but this language of something being bound to be sacrificed is actually in throughout the Old Testament. That any sacrifice that was given, they were bound. It's the language that's put here. It's a picture of what was to come for the people of Israel. This is the moment, if this was a real movie, if this was a movie being displayed in front of us, this is when the dramatic music comes, right? Because here is Abraham. He's got his son on the altar. He's about to um, kill him for sacrifice. 
If it was in, on TV, this is when they go to a commercial break. But no, what we have is God calls out. The angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a finger on that boy. That's a powerful picture. The angel of the Lord speaks, not only just once, but twice. It's a, a sense of urgency. Stop. Don't lay a finger on your son. And the fear that it speaks of, that God speaks and says, you fear me, is not a sense of, oh, I'm really scared. No, this is describing his worship and reverence of God. Not only that, knowing that God is the one who will provide. It's a sense of faith and trusting that God will come through. And in that moment, from lifting his eyes to a mountaintop, what he sees and lifts and now looks, and there is God's provision. A lamb or a ram caught in the thicket. Instead, he offers that up rather than his son. Friends, this is the big significant picture of the Bible. God provides. Using theological terms, God provides a substitute. And here, once again, is Abraham's posture. And he renames that place. That mountaintop is now, at that time in that day, is called the Lord will provide. And that text is saying it's called to that day. It's, it's like a, a note to the people who would have been listening in or for the first time, the people of Israel. It's that physical reminder to them. Hey, see that mount? Remember that mount? That's where God provided. That the Lord provided. This is the mountain that God provided and came through. It's a wonderful picture as well because, see, the people of Israel, you see the storyline of Israel is that constant temptation for the nations around them. The nations around them who would do human sacrifices. The nations around them who would give up their children to be sacrificed. And there's this physical picture of them being reminded, no, 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 we're the people of Israel. We don't need to do that. Why? Because God has provided for us. It's a wonderful picture again throughout the whole story of the Bible as the people of Israel will install sacrificial systems. Everything that they put in that system is a substitute. It's something that takes their place for that particular sin. And this is God showing that he is the one who will provide. And God once again repeats the promises that he already said. For the first and last time in Genesis, the Lord swears an oath, guaranteeing this promise. It's re-emphasized. God is saying, you are a recipient of this covenant, this blessing, this blessing that I give you. It's a promise of God's grace shown to him. And what Abraham is called to do is trust in God and his character. Abraham's faith is in God, the God who will fulfill his promises. And this is why in verse 18 we have this story again that we've been saying over and over again in the life of Abraham, that through your offspring all the nations of the earth would be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. This promise in Genesis has been confirmed. That started in Genesis chapter 12 verse 2. If you're wondering how that imply, implications are for us today, here are some things I want you to consider. 
There are many things in our lives. Maybe God is asking you to surrender. What do I mean by that? Let me say that again. All in our lives, there are things that we consider are the most precious things. And sometimes what we do with those precious things, and they may be even good things, we claim it as ours and forget, no, it's actually God's, not mine. And maybe some of us are looking at the testing aspect. Friends, it's all good for you to wrestle through those things that you should, but don't lose sight of this. God will test, but God in his grace will provide. And friends, God has provided, has he not? We are so spoiled on this side of Genesis and all the way to Revelation. See, for the people of Israel, they would have this constant reminder, a physical reminder that God would provide. And this idea of sacrifice was again put in to that there is a need for God to provide. There's this picture of a mountain here, and this is where historians later on would say that God himself would again show up on that mountain. The David, King David, would build an altar there. And some would even argue this is where the temple was built. That's Solomon's temple was built there. But either way, there was this constant reminder that God has provided. God has provided. But it was ultimately pointing to a greater, wonderful, beautiful provision by God. See, as you read the story of Genesis 2 and towards the end of it, and in chapter 23 as well, in 22, towards the end, you have a very significant name that we'll explore next week that comes up. But it's to say that God's generations will continue as he promised. But in Genesis 23, there's another significant event. You know, here's the thing. If God allowed Isaac to be killed, it would really not solve the real problem that we all have. It would not solve the problem that all of mankind has, that is sin and death. I mean, if you want to know what the reminder of death is still around, read the next chapter. Abraham, his love, dies. She dies. The woman that he's been with for so long, she dies. And there's this picture of Abraham, the the husband who loves this wife, goes in and mourns for his wife. He weeps. And friends, death is a reminder that that sin's sting is still around. And for the people of Israel and for the history that continues, there's this wonderful reminder, but a powerful reminder that sin demands blood. And as you read the story of the Bible, God himself would provide the one seed that he spoke of, the one who would become the ultimate provision, the one who, when John the Baptist sees and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth, world. And then later on in that very story, another gospel and gospel of Matthew, where, uh, where Jesus comes and he's baptized And immediately he comes out of the water, Matthew 3, and says, And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
Jesus is the most loved son, the only son, the perfect son, the one who the Father is 100% pleased in. It is only God himself who could solve the real issue in our hearts that he himself would have to come. He sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very seed for the nations to be blessed. They need to turn to Christ. That's where you find true blessing, knowing Jesus, this perfect son whom the father deeply loves, the father who is well pleased with, the one who becomes a sacrifice, the one who alone by his death would please his father, the one who would and has conquered sin and death. Because Isaac's death could not do that for you and me. Only Christ could. See, in the story of, uh, of Abraham, the Hebrew writers in the great story, if you want to connect a lot of Old Testament stuff to New Testament stuff and where do the dots connect, I would encourage you to have on one page the story of Genesis, then you go to Hebrews. You'll see these things repeated over and over again. In the story of Hebrews, in the letter in verses 7 to 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall the offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Uh, This is the Hebrews writer's way of saying, hey, look, I don't know how this is going to work out, but Abraham's going up and he speaks to his servants and even to his son to say somehow he believed and trusted, even if he ends up going through with and killing his only son, that God would raise him up. Abraham's trust was in the character of God. And friends, if you know this truth on this side of the cross, are we not also now able to trust the character of God? Because he has sent his precious son. And this son, as many of you before me have said, cries out to the Father, and all he hears is silence. This son, who is in the garden in the most darkest time, says to the Father, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup from me. But he says, Not my will, but yours be done. This one who in the Gospel of Mark, on the day that he's arrested, betrayed and arrested, says that he was bound, handed over. This one who would be abandoned alone on that cross, not saying a word, even on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Hung on a wooden cross, who would become the ultimate sacrifice once for all. The one who cries to the Father and all he receives is silence. The one who breathes his final breath and says it is finished. Friends, this is who God is. And he was willing to give up his only son. But what a sad thing it it would be if it just finished on that cross. On that third day, he rises again. And on that third day, that means as his King and Lord, that if you turn to him, if you give your life and faith to him, it's all because of his work, not yours or mine. 
But this also means that if you know him and you follow him, our life is not our own. Our homes are not our own. Our career is not our own. Our kids are not our own. Our retirement plan is not our own. Our uni degree is not our own. Our career path, all we have is his. And what God desires for you and I, in a sense, a test is to surrender that to him and say, Lord, this is yours. And we can trust him because he has provided and he is good. And if you want to ever wonder how is that possible, look to the cross every day. That is our motivation because of his very character. You know, if you want to understand what faith and obedience means, it's trusting in his character, having faith and trust in his character. Because of that, you obey. It's not a sense of, oh, I better do this. If I don't do this, God's waiting there with a baseball bat to whack me. Or a sense that God is this cruel God. Friends, this is not the God of the Bible. He's filled with grace. And that's what God calls us to live in faith, to be driven by his character that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, his son. That's our motivation for obedience, by submitting to his will. Because this has been displayed in Christ. Friends, if you know this truth or growing in this truth, something to consider as we close up. Is there anything, whether it's something or someone, that God is actually asking you to surrender today? What do I mean by that? Well, is there something that's grabbing your deepest of affections and is at war with you to point you away from Jesus? Maybe it might even be the really good thing. This week I was wrestling with this and I had this thought come into mind. Shabu, are you still loved if you're not a pastor? The answer is yes. But that sometimes becomes the dearest thing in my heart. And I need to surrender that to the Lord every day. Are you in a sense, even in the darkest moment of life going on, we've talked about this this morning, maybe what God is asking you to do is not focus as much on the circumstance, but look to the one who's gone before you and cling to him. And maybe you're right in the deepest, the refining moments of your life. Know that your Savior has gone before you. And friends, if you don't know this truth, if you think the Christian faith is ultimately about doing this or not doing that, I've got news for you, it's not. The Christian faith is about a life of surrender for the rest of your life. That's what the Christian faith is about. And you might not understand this fully, but you won't understand this fully till you grasp and look at Jesus Christ. I want you to know that there is a Savior who is drawing your stubborn heart to him. He wants you to know him. Would you surrender to him, maybe even today? Friends, God's tests are gracious because he has provided grace upon grace for you and I in Christ. Our hope is in our provider, shown and displayed in Jesus our King. Our life is a daily walk of knowing God, knowing that he has provided and he will do so till your final breath. Let me pray. Father, you are the God who has provided. 
And we know that it's been fulfilled in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if there are things right now that we need to surrender to you, help us to do that. We need your Spirit's help. And help us to do that with great joy in knowing, Jesus, you gave up your life so that we may have life as we live for you today, tomorrow, until our last day. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.